Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke in chapter number 8. The Gospel of Luke in chapter number 8 this morning. We're going to read a little more scripture than normally we would read, several uh, verses, but I want you to hear. Uh, we have two stories tied into one. And, uh, and I want us to... Be familiar with both of them as they uh, intertwine for the message this morning. Luke in chapter number 9, beginning in verse number 40. And uh, I'm going to start with verse number 40 and then ask you to join me responsively through the end of the chapter. Let's stand together, please, uh, for the reading of the Word of God in Luke in chapter number 9. And I begin in verse 40, you join me on 41 and so forth. And it came to pass that when Jesus was returned, the people gladly received him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus and was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. We're in Luke 8, now verse number 42. Did I give it wrong? Did I? I'm sorry. What did I say, John? Turn anywhere in your Bible. It's all good. <laughs> Luke chapter number 8. Luke chapter number 8. All right. And uh, how about we start again? Shall we start again? All right. I'm beginning with verse 40. Uh, and uh, Luke chapter number 8. All right. We're on the same page now. And it came to pass that when Jesus was returned, the people gladly received him. For they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. For he had one only daughter, about twelve years of age, and she lay a-dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. And a woman, having an issue of blood, twelve years which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind him and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood stanched. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude thronged thee and pressed thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And Jesus said, Somebody hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue is gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. While he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Thy daughter is dead, trouble not the master. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. And when he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in, save Peter and James and John and the father and mother of the maiden. And all wept and bewailed her. But he said, Weep not, she is not dead, but sleepeth. 
and they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. And he put them all out and took her by the hand and called, saying, Maid, arise. And her spirit came again, and she arose straightway, and he commanded to give her meat. And finishing on verse 56 together, And her parents were astonished, but he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. Two wonderful, wonderful miracles right here recorded in this passage. I want to look at our text first, which is verse number 45. Verse number 45. A great crowd of people. They were waiting for him, the Bible says in, in our opening verse, verse 40. They were waiting for him, a crowd of people. And they pressed upon him. Everybody wanted to get to the Lord Jesus. And there's one particular woman, and she, uh, she had been bleeding for years and years and years and years. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly how, but she... I'd spent everything she had trying to get help. And wasn't a doctor could help her, and she didn't have any help, and she didn't have any money now. And she said, you know, maybe if I could get to the Lord. And so she came behind, and she just touched his garment, the Bible said. And Jesus responded in verse 45, and Jesus said, Who touched me? Who touched me? Uh... When all denied, everybody said, I didn't touch you. I didn't touch you. It wasn't me. wasn't me. Now, it's a great throng of people. Remember this. When all denied Peter, and when all denied Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude thronged thee and pressed thee. And sayest thou who touched me? <laughs> they were not on the same page, were they? And Jesus said, Somebody hath touched me. For I perceive that virtue is gone out of me. I want to use that little question as a message this morning. Who touched me? Heavenly Father, I pray for the Spirit of God to move in the hearts of your people this morning. Just as you moved in my heart, Lord, upon reading and meditating on this little, this little line out of this verse, Lord. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much that you responded to that simple act of faith. And uh, brought healing uh, to this dear lady when there was no other help for her, hopeless other than that. And she found uh, help, Lord, in thee. And so help us to see how this helps us today and how we too can, uh, can experience uh, God's uh, grace uh, if we'll exercise our faith too. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. You may be seated. Who touched me? Now keep in mind, these stories are intertwined. Here's a man, the Bible calls him a ruler of the synagogue in verse number one, Jairus, which means that he was an administrator, he was somebody of import in the, uh, in the, uh, in the synagogue, that was the religious center, what you would call the, uh, uh, would be uh, uh, the church, if you would, if you're today here in our setting, you'd say that, that guy runs the church. Uh, and uh, he uh, had a, was a man of position, but he was a desperate man. And typically a man of this stature would not come and fall down at anybody's feet. But he comes in verse 41 and he falls down at Jesus' feet. He's in desperation because his little 12-year-old girl is dying. And, uh, and, and he, he desperately wants help, wants the Lord's help. And, um, and, uh, and so he falls at the Lord's feet. And it's his daughter, his only daughter, the Bible tells us, 12 years of age, and she is dying. And he implores the Lord to come and please help 
my daughter. Help my daughter. So he's making this plea. Now this is what you would call an emergency. She's on her deathbed. And she really and truly is in the final moments of her life. We'll find out as the text unfolds here. She's in the final moments of her life. I mean, this is a, this is a bona fide emergency. They don't need Jesus after a while. They don't need Jesus tomorrow. They need Jesus now. This is one of those, we're not going, we're not going to drive to the emergency room. We're going to call the 911 or whatever. We're going to get there uh, uh, post-haste the fastest way possible. And this man has come and he's humbled himself. It's out of character for him and his position, but he doesn't care. At this point, he wants his daughter to live and he gets a hold of the master. He gets in front. Please, please come. My daughter is dying and I need you. Well, there's a great crowd around him. So with some effort, he made it to his feet, of course. But the Bible said, but as he went, the people thronged him. So here's this man of importance. I'm sure that probably caught some folks' attention. He would always obviously be recognizable if he was uh, the leader of the uh, ruler of the synagogue. And, but, uh, and so a crowd begins to gather. A crowd begins to gather. And Jesus is on his way to the house of Jairus to, uh, uh, to, to uh, uh, minister to his family, in particular to his little 12-year-old daughter. And the crowd gathers. And there's a good crowd already because there was a crowd waiting for him, the Bible tells us. But now the crowd, I think, is swelling and more people are coming. Word is going out and people are joining as they go down the streets and people are coming out. And now there's a great crowd and there's one lady in that crowd and she's a desperate lady. She has a need and she's done everything she knows to do and has not gotten any help. And she says, well, if I could just get to Jesus. If I could just get to Jesus, I think... Perhaps, maybe, maybe I, 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 wouldn't even, I wouldn't need his attention, but maybe I could just touch his garment. And so the Bible tells us that's exactly what she did in a simple act of faith. She touched the border of his garment and immediately the issue, in other words, the bleeding, the word issue means flow, stench means stop, that blood, the, the, the bleeding stopped immediately. She was healed just at the touch of his garment. That's pretty powerful, Amen. Oh, what a Savior we have. And Jesus said, who touched me? Now, that's a curious thing to do. Uh, the Lord knows everything. This was not uh, an inquiry. <laughs> there was something more going on here. He, of course, knew who had touched him, but he stopped this great crowd on the way to an emergency. Now keep that in mind. The 12-year-old girl is lying on her deathbed and, deathbed and she is taking her last breaths and she needs Jesus right away. But he stops to ask a question, who touched me? Now we know that Jesus Christ is God incarnate. Uh, we don't understand all the mystery of the incarnation. We knew that he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. But we know for sure they understood who, that he understood who he was uh, upon his baptism, he's filled with the Holy Spirit and begins after a season of prayer and fasting. Uh, uh, his earthly ministry and already many miracles have been performed already. He's begun instructing his disciples about his purpose for coming. He's coming to die. And, uh, and, and so he knows who he is and he knows his mission. So it, it, he is not in, in, a, in a place where he, he, he doesn't know who this woman is. He certainly knows. He knew uh, uh, what the Pharisees were thinking in a previous chapter in Luke chapter number 6. Uh, the Pharisees, we'll look at it a little later in the message. The 
Pharisees are going back and forth and they're figuring out how they can ensnare him. And he calls them out on it as he did numbers of times. He did that to his own disciples. At one point, his disciples arguing amongst themselves about who's going to be the greatest. And he interrupts their conversation, having read their thoughts and begins to answer their question before they ask it directly of him. Uh, Nathaniel, when he heard about the Christ, said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And finally, when he meets up the, the Savior in John chapter 1, uh, 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 he finds out, Jesus said, Nathaniel, I, I, I knew you while you were sitting under that tree yesterday. And Daniel said, well, how'd you know that? And uh, because he's the Lord, amen, and he knows all things. He is all-knowing, amen. He's omniscient. He is all-knowing, and he knows what you're going through. He knows what I'm going through. He knows yesterday. He knows today, tomorrow. He's all-knowing, amen, as God in flesh. And so when he asked the question, who touched me, he wasn't trying to figure out who this lady was. He knew. Now, uh, Peter didn't understand that. Do we love Peter? Don't we love Peter? Amen. We love the guy that says out loud what the rest of us are thinking. Amen. But don't have the courage to say. And so Peter, in uh, verse number 45, Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied. Now, here's this great throng, this great crowd of people. And Jesus said, who touched me? And, and some said, I didn't know what me, what me. And I don't know what the tone was wherewith where, where he asked this question. I don't know if they said, oh boy, somebody's in trouble. And I don't know what they were thinking, but they all started denying. Usually when you die, you, somebody's in trouble. I didn't do it. And uh, I wasn't me, wasn't me. They all denied, they all denied. And Peter, not understanding that the Lord was doing something more than just trying to figure out who somebody was. He not understanding that, he, he almost like patronizing, uh, 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 said, Master, the multitude throng thee and press thee. And, and say, sayest thou, who touched me? He says, Master, he said, listen, there are all kind of people around. This, this whole crowd's pressing on you. We're all, we're shoulder to shoulder around here. And you, want, you, you ask, who's touching you? As if to say that's a dumb question. But I can promise you, Jesus wasn't a dummy. Peter was a dummy. Uh, 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 you want to ask that question? Who touched me? And Jesus said, somebody hath touched me. For I perceive that virtue is going out of me. By the way, this, uh, this word virtue, uh, it's a wonderful word. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's spiritual power has gone out of me. It's what he's saying. That's why he went to the desert in the first place. That's why he often retreated into the mountain to pray. That's why numbers of times we find him praying all night long. Because as Jesus ministered uh, and his spiritual resources were depleted, uh, he had to go back again in fellowship with the Father and once more be filled as he was in the desert for those 40 days of prayer and fasting and be filled so he could go out and minister again. And therein is a pattern for you and I. Amen. What did he say in the Gospel of John? He said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Spirit. God has appointed you and I to daily go and seek his, his power and His Spirit in our lives so that we can go and bear the fruit of the Spirit in the world around us of love and joy and peace and making the Gospel and our Savior attractive to a lost world. God's Spirit in us and God's Spirit through us and as we minister, as we witness, as we teach, as we weep with others, as we pray, our virtue or our spiritual resources are depleted and we got to go back up to the mountain and get some more power so we can go out again and be a witness for Christ. Therein is the pattern for you and I. And we see it illustrated right here in Jesus' life. The Bible said, he, somebody hath touched me for I perceive that virtue is gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, 
She said, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to be found out. She came trembling and falling down before him. She declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. As I was reading this the other morning, I was thinking, you know, why did the Lord stop? This, this caravan, I mean, it was, he had an important task ahead of him. Here's a woman, she's laying, a little girl, 12 years old, she's laying there dying. And they need the Lord, and they need him now. Why would he stop in the middle of that and ask a question? He didn't need to ask. He knew who the woman was. He didn't need to know who she was. Why would he do so? Let me give you some thoughts. Why did he ask the question, who touched me? I think, number one, to illustrate to Peter and others that his questions always have a purpose. His questions always have a purpose. You know, the Bible tells us the Lord Jesus was 12 years old. You remember that? And, and they had gone to Jerusalem uh, for sacrificing and feasting time, and they were headed back home. And Joseph is still at home as a boy, Mary and Joseph, of course. And, and, and so all the family had gone uh, 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 to Jerusalem. Now they're going back home. And so all the cousins were there and aunts and uncles and so forth like that. And he's 12 years old. You know, he's a little older now. And so they give him a little rope, if you will. And, and they're traveling and they, and they don't say, and uh, they don't have, he's not with Mary and Joseph. And so well, he's, with, he's with Uncle Bob or, and Aunt Mary and, and whoever else. And, uh, uh, and, then, and then they don't see him for a day or two. And then they get worried. They go back into Jerusalem and they find the Lord Jesus. He's sitting in the temple and he's talking to the doctors and the lawyers. He's talking to the PhDs. And he's sitting there, this 12-year-old boy, and he's asking them questions. And he's tying them in knots. And here's this crowd of fellas uh, with their uh, academic uh, achievements and their positions. And here's this 12-year-old boy asking them questions and stuffing them and exposing things and teaching them things. And can I tell you something? The questions that the Lord asks of us have a purpose. He's an all-knowing God. Amen. He's an all-knowing God. But he wanted to illustrate that he had a purpose in his questions. Let me give you an example. Just go back a couple chapters here to, uh, to Luke 6. Go to Luke chapter 6 and, 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 and uh, I'll show you this. And there is uh, uh, over 300 questions that the Lord asks in the Gospels. Over 300 times he asks a question. Here's just a little sampling we're in Luke chapter 6 and verse number, uh, verse number 2. Let's start there. And certain of the Pharisees said unto him, unto them, Why do ye that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath day? So Jesus' disciples have been uh, ministering. And many times they didn't even take time to eat, the Bible tells us. And they go by a cornfield and they grab some of the corn, uh, uh, ears of corn off of the corn. They run it in their hands like this and they're eating. And, uh, and this was on the Sabbath. And by the way, that was, that was uh, we talked this a few weeks ago, uh, that was according to Old Testament law. That was, uh, 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 you, you couldn't take a bag into someone's uh, 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 field of corn, but whatever you could take in your hands for, to feed yourself, you could do that. And that was God's way of taking care of poor folks and so forth like that. And, uh, and so that's what they did. That was well within the law. But uh, the, the disciples, uh, excuse me, the, the Pharisees, and that religious crowd had stacked and stacked and stacked all kinds of extra rules and laws uh, onto uh, the Old Testament uh, laws. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and so they, they said, well, why, why are you guys breaking the rules? Why are you guys breaking the law? And Jesus, look at verse 3, answering them, said, 
Have you not read so much as this, what David did when himself wasn't hungered and they which were with him? How he went into the house of God, did take and eat the showbread, and gave also to them that were with him, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priests only. And he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. You know what he's doing? He's exposing their hypocrisy. Look down at verse number 6. It came to pass on another Sabbath that he entered into the synagogue and taught. And there was a man whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and Pharisees watched him whether he would heal on the Sabbath. They're watching him because they want to criticize him, point fingers at him. That they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man which had the withered hand, Rise up and stand forth in the midst. And he arose and stood forth. Then said Jesus unto them. <laughs> this is great. He knows what they're thinking. And, uh, and, he know, and so he heals this man. Then he turns to the uh, uh, scribes and Pharisees who are trying to find fault and says in verse 9, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? What's he doing? He's exposing their hypocrisy. Uh, go to verse number 39 in the same chapter. Go to verse number 39. I'll give you another quick example here. Uh, verse 39 he spoke a parable unto them. Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into the ditch? The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but, but perceiveth not the beam that is in thine own eye? Either how canst thou say to thy brother, Brother, let me pull out thy, the mote that is in thine eye, when thou thyself beholdest not the beam that is in thine own eye, thou hypocrites. Look, here's what he's saying. He said, listen, you guys are professionals at nitpicking other people and find a, 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 a little toothpick in somebody's eye. You got a tree sticking out of yours. Why don't you pull the tree out of your eyeball before you try to pull the toothpick out of somebody else's eyeball? Why did he ask these questions? He asked these questions to expose their hypocrisy. Peter didn't understand that. Christ always has a purpose for his questions. Go with me, if you would, uh, uh, to uh, chapter 6 and verse 33. We're backing up a little bit here. And look at verse number 33. He says, uh, let's, start, let's start at verse number uh, 32. For if you love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners do uh, also do even the same. And if you lend to them of whom you hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive so much as again. Now, here's, here's asking questions. We said this, he, he asked questions to expose the hypocrisy. He asked questions to make them think. He asked questions to make them think. Uh, 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 you know, what, 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 what? What's so commendable about being good to somebody who's been good to you? Being generous to somebody who's been generous to you? Being kind to somebody who's been kind to you? That's no big deal. Unsafe people do that. Unbelievers do that. But I go, I tell you this. He goes on and says, love your enemies. Do good to them. That, 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 that don't treat you well. He was making them think with his questions. With his questions. We go over to chapter 9 as an example. Chapter 9. All right, here we go all over the New Testament Gospels. We'll just stay right here close to our text. And uh, look at a few examples. He asked a question to make them think in verse number uh, 25 of, of, of Luke 9. Luke 9, 25. He said, for what is a, a man advantaged if he gained the whole world and lose himself or be a castaway? 
What good is it if you what good is it if you build a, a, a an empire on the earth? What good is it if you if you if you have all the money in the world, you gain the whole world and, and then you die and you burn in hell for it? What good is that? That's no good. He's making them think. He's making them think. He's making them think. Go to chapter 10. Chapter 10. And uh, I, I like the way he, he asked questions of this young man to make him think. Luke chapter 10, look at verse number 25. The Bible said a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, Jesus knows. Here, let me tell you this. The Lord Jesus knows if we're sincere or not. He knows. He knows our motives. He knows what we're thinking and he knows our motives. And this man uh, uh, tempting him, he's trying to trap him, he's trying to ensnare him like the others were. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, what's written in the law? How readest thou? No, he said, oh, what does the book say? How do you read it? And he answered and said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said to him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? <laughs> and Jesus told him about the man that went down to Jericho and uh, got beat up and left for dead. Told about the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, Jesus, my point is this Jesus. Uh, asked questions to, help, uh, to expose the condition of a man's heart. He asked questions to expose hypocrisy. He asked questions to make us think. Go over to chapter 11. Go over to chapter 11 in our journey through Luke here. And uh, I'll show you a few more questions. Luke 11. He asked questions to expose hypocrisy, to make us think. He asked questions to build our faith. Luke 11, verse 11. If a son shall ask bread... Of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? How many of your dads? Raise your hand if you're a dad. Your dad, raise your hand. All right. So you, if your son comes up to you, uh, dad, and says, Dad, I'm hungry. Got a piece of bread? He says, Here, son, eat this rock. Is that what you'd do? Would you do that? Yes or no? No. Well, you say, well, it depends on how he's behaved that day. Uh, no, of course you wouldn't do that. Or if he asks a fish... Will he, for a fish, give him a serpent? So if your son, dad, your son comes and says, Dad, can we go to McDonald's and get a fish sandwich? He says, no, son, but here's a rattlesnake. Is he going to do that? Is a loving dad going to do that, yes or no? Not a trick question. Yes or no? No, he's not going to do that. Verse 13, if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Hey, Dad, can we have some scrambled eggs? No, but here's a, here's a poisonous scorpion. No, he's not going. No, he's not going to do that. He said, "That's a ridiculous." Yes, uh, 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 he's making a point. Uh, verse thirteen. Well, then, if ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? He just got through telling a story about a man who's asking of his neighbor bread to give to a friend. A friend came on a long journey. He had no bread to give his friend. So he goes to the neighbor. It's in the middle of the night. He said, hey, I need some bread. I, I've got a friend. He needs some bread. And I need some bread. Give me some bread so I can feed my friend. He said, ask me in the morning. We're sleeping. He starts to go back home and has to go back. He said, I can't do that. My friend's hungry. He came on a long journey. He's hungry. And I have nothing to give him. So he goes and says, hey, wake up, man. Listen, you, I know you got some bread. Give me some bread. He said, leave me alone. We're sleeping. That's oh, man. He goes, I, I can't do it. And he goes back and says, I need some bread. I need some bread. And the man said, give me some bread. Will you leave me alone? He said, yeah, I'll leave you alone. 
He gave him some bread and he fed his friend. And then he tells us the application of this in verse number 13. The bread he's talking about, the bread he's talking about is that spirit of God again like a river that flows through us where we find broken souls, hungry souls, needy souls, unsaved souls and we take them comfort, we take them the love of Christ, we take them the gospel of Jesus Christ and he's saying, I want you to have the Holy Spirit's power in your life. I want you to be empowered to feed others. I want you to be empowered to witness to others. But, but listen, you got to ask me. you got to want it. I'm not going to just give it out. I want people who, who I know want it. This is a prayer about, this is a parable about importunity. This is a challenge. Look, if you're smart enough not to give your son a rock when he wants a piece of bread or a scorpion when he wants some scrambled eggs or a serpent when he wants a fish sandwich, then I am going to give you what you really, really want in your soul. That's good for you. Oh, listen, what's he saying? He said, I want to build your faith. Ask, 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 ask me. I want to. He he says in verse number nine, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. Listen, the old devil says, the old devil says, God's not listening to you. God's not going to answer your prayers. Wait a minute. If your kids need something, do you want to get it to them, yes or no? Yeah. You think you're a better parent than God the Father? I don't think so. (laughs) If you and I have enough sense to want to meet the needs of our children, don't you think there's a God in heaven who wants to meet the needs of his children? Amen? Oh, listen to me. God's trying to get us hungry for for him and for answered prayer and for, 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 for his Holy Spirit power in our lives. That's what he's trying to say. He's trying to build our faith. Go go over to chapter uh, 12. Uh, Look at uh, chapter 12 and uh, and, uh, verse number 25. Chapter 12, verse number 20. Uh, let's start at verse number 22. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn. God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? Hey, if you think about it real hard, could you grow an inch? Yes or no? No. <laughs> Man, I want to grow, I want to grow, I want to grow. Oh, oh, I want to grow, I want to grow. Oh, fair you're not going to grow that way. Amen. No, you're not. Uh, you might furrow your brow permanently, but you're not going to grow. That's for sure. No. And God's trying to make them think. He's saying, Look, listen, don't, don't, don't uh, stop thinking about those things you can't control. And believe me and trust me, God is trying to build their faith. Amen. I believe I'm back in Luke now. Chapter number eight. Uh, 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 Jesus stopped and he asked a question. Who touched me? Who touched me? What was he trying to do? He's trying to, he's, he's having a faith building lesson right now. A faith building lesson is coming. I believe that his questions have a purpose. Peter did not understand that. Peter missed that. That went over Peter's head. But the question was asked to illustrate that his questions, the Lord's questions, have a purpose. Number two, why did he ask the question, who touched me? I think, number two, to encourage others who have a need. To encourage others who have a need. Do you know what? So much of the Christian life is meant to be lived, to be demonstrated uh, publicly. Tonight, we're going to have the Lord's Supper. And that is a public demonstration of our love and devotion to Jesus Christ 
And our faith in his death, burial, and resurrection, his broken body, his shed blood is commemorated in, in the elements tonight, the bread and the juice. And that is our way of, of, of publicly identifying that we love him for his sacrifice. We appreciate what he did for us. And by the way, if he did that for us, there ought to be nothing we wouldn't be willing to do for him. Amen. The same with baptism. Baptism is a, a public demonstration of your faith in Jesus Christ. It's not, it's not the gospel. It's not part of the gospel, Paul said. He said, uh, God didn't send me to uh, uh, baptize. He sent me to preach the gospel. First Corinthians tells us the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's a simple gospel. But the baptism right on the heels of salvation ought to come for every believer. Why? Because it publicly identifies us as, 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 as having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It publicly identifies us as one who believes and trusts in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so our, our faith being public is so important. Uh, it, it acknowledges that we're not ashamed of the Lord. And it acknowledges publicly that we love Him and admire Him and appreciate what He's done for us. But there's another reason and a very important reason why that we ought to be public with our adoration and public with our faith in Jesus Christ. And that is this. When you take that step of obedience and come down an aisle at a church, for example, and publicly profess your faith in Jesus Christ and say, now that I'm saved and I know my name's in the book of life and I'm on my way to heaven, I want to publicly identify as a believer by going up there and getting in that water and getting baptized. Now listen, do you know how the Holy Spirit will use that? God will use my testimony and yours and my life and yours as an example to others who need to do the same thing. I remember uh, our good friend, Brother Bizarrees, and uh, he is in the Dominican Republic now, and he was home and all was there in, uh, the, uh, 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 in Haiti, and he talked about the open oppression, demonic oppression. We, 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 we live with so much light, uh, and uh, it's, it's an ever-darkening country we live in, but Haiti's been a dark country for years and years and years and years. And... Uh, and uh, uh, you, you could you can just you could look at a Google map not right now during the service, but you can look at Google map on that island, and you'll see a, a clear line, and you'll see one side of that island devastated, uh, no no vegetation, barely no trees, and you'll see another side flourishing. I'm talking about uh, pe people that have that have uh, practiced uh, open uh, voodoo and so forth like that. And and brother uh, brother Larice has told us about how that when when he uh, would go to baptize folks. People were open to the gospel, receive Christ. But when it came time to baptize folks, there would be literally demonic oppression. It would take two grown men just to get a little small frame woman under the water. The physical resistance that would come. Here's the lady who said, I, I want to be baptized. I want to, I, want, I want to go into water. I want everybody to know that I'm a Christian. And they go to put her into the water. And there is literally a spiritual struggle and, and, and a physical, in the physical, manifest in the physical realm just to try to get somebody under the water. And I, I, I remember talking to him about that and meditating on that and realized once again that it's a public profession that influences others and the devil wants to fight that. He wants to fight that, wants to scare people and keep them from being public in their profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And, and, and there's other people who need what you and I have. Listen, yes, I know you can sit in your seat and you can call on the Lord as your Savior and be saved. I understand that. But 
But it's not just about your soul. It's about the people that now you can influence, that your loved ones, your friends, your co-workers, they need to know that Christ is your Savior. They need to know you love the Lord Jesus. They need to know that you're not ashamed of Him. My dear friend, listen to me. That's why the devil fights that so very, very hard. Here's a little lady. Think about her. She's hopeless. She's had this physical issue for years and years and years. And she has literally spent every last penny she's got on doctors trying to get help. And nobody can help her. She is absolutely hopeless. She's alone. She's timid. And yet something says to her in her soul, oh, if I could just get to the Lord, maybe the Lord could help me. If I could just get to him, if I could just get, if I could just touch his garment. Oh, that's the only place I think I could find hope. And she presses her way through this throng and she by faith reaches out and she touches the hem of his garment and she's healed. And I believe Jesus said, there's some other people that need to know about this. There's some other people who feel hopeless. There's some other people who feel alone. There's some other people who've tried everything in the world there is to meet their needs and they've tried one thing and another and it just hasn't worked. And they need to know that they can come and one meeting and one touch with the master and their life can be transformed. I believe the Lord Jesus stopped that, uh, stopped that uh, uh, entourage and stopped that great throng of people even in its emergency situation, even in the emergency uh, that's before him and where he's headed and why he needs to go, why he needs to go right away. It was important enough to Jesus to stop that and say, who touched me? And, uh, and, and I, wasn't me, wasn't me, wasn't me. Lord, why are we doing this? Wasting time. There's a bunch of people touching you. And finally she comes. He said, Lord, it was me. I'll tell you why. And she told her story. And she gave her testimony. Amen. Amen. That'd be sweet to hear, wouldn't it? Can you hear this little lady? She's, she, the Bible says she's trembling. She's, I think she blessed her heart. I think she's scared right out of her mind. The Bible said, verse number 47, said she came trembling and falling down before him. She's shaking. She says, Lord, it was me. She says, I, I, I wouldn't do anything wrong. It was me. I just had to get to you. I've been sick my whole life. I've been losing blood all these years. And, and I went and spent everything I had on doctors. Nobody could help me. I, I tried everybody. And, and, and people turned me away. There's no one to help. I had nowhere else to go. And, and I, I, I hope I didn't do wrong. I hope I didn't do wrong. And I just had to get to you. But when I touched you, I, I, right away. I mean, right away. It was instant. It was right away. Oh, this, that'd be a good testimony here, wouldn't it? Amen. Can I tell you something? Somebody needs to hear your testimony. Somebody needs to hear your testimony. Somebody needs to hear about what God has done in your life. And I believe that Jesus stopped and asked the question, who touched me? So that he could encourage others who had and uh, had a need like this lady. Someone who needed a Savior. Someone who needed, needed to know that the Savior would meet their need as well. A timid one who needed to know that the Savior would meet their need. An anonymous one who, who needed to know the Savior would meet their need a hurting one, a one hurting alone, that the Lord would meet their need. Someone uh, who didn't want the limelight, someone who didn't want to be noticed, uh, someone who didn't want to be uh, attention. Uh, but 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 the Lord said, I, "That's the person. I know who you are. I, I'm asking, I'm not trying to find out. I know who you are. But there's others like you, and they need to know that I can meet their needs as well." 
Oh, he wanted to encourage the one who wonders if the master's touch is for their life. It's no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, friend, he'll do for you. Amen. You may or may not know it, but you're sitting among folks who have been tangled up with the law sitting among you. Brother Hamilton, for example. Uh, well, we've got folks in here have been tangled up with the law in the past. we got folks in here struggle with dope and alcohol in the past. Immorality, just about everything you can think of. Gang activity, so forth. Let me tell you something. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all Amen. sin. Amen. Can I tell you something? You say, man, I'm not like these people. You might be surprised. You might be surprised. And the touch of the Master is for you, my dear friend, whatever your need is. The touch of the Master is for you. One final thought before we close. Who touched me? Why would he stop and ask a question such as this? To illustrate to the disciples that his questions have a purpose. To encourage others who have a need that the Savior will meet their need as well. And number three, and lastly, to show that he's a God big enough to handle more than one thing at a time. He's a God big enough to handle more than one thing at a time. Now look at the story. Verse number 48, he tells that sweet little lady trembling, daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. Look at it. Verse 49. While he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, Thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. Don't bother him. It's too late. She already died. Forget it. You don't need him now. But when Jesus heard it, he answering him saying, Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. I believe she's, he's talking to the dad there. And when he came into the house, he suffered or allowed no man to go in, save or except Peter and James and John and the father and the mother of the maiden. And all wept and bewailed her. But he said, Weep not, she is not dead but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. I don't know for sure the Bible didn't say so, but I do know that it was part of the culture, just as it is in certain parts of the world today, in certain cultures, to actually hire professional mourners. These sound like professional mourners to me. Because here they are weeping in verse number 52, and then they're laughing in the next verse. And so it sounded like somebody who was... Anyway, I don't know that for sure, but I know that these folks who were weeping and wailing and so forth, and the Lord said, don't weep, she's not dead, she's sleeping. And now they're laughing at him to scorn. In other words, they're not laughing, they're laughing to make fun of him, to mock him, uh, to belittle him. They laughed him to scorn knowing that she was dead. And he put them all out. Everyone, get out. Get out, all of you. Peter, James, John, you stay here. Mom and Dad, of course, stay here. The rest of you, get out. Out, go. <laughs> And he put them all out and took her by the hand and called, saying, Maid, arise. Amen. And her spirit came again, and she arose straightway, and he commanded to give her meat. She's hungry. Give her something to eat. Amen. If you ever die and rise from the dead, that'd be the first thing you get to do, eat. Amen. And her parents were astonished. But he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. Can I tell you something? Here's a beautiful little illustration that Jesus can juggle more than one problem at a time. Amen. Isn't that great? 
They said, don't bother him now. Don't bother the master. It's too late. She's already dead. She said, it's not too late. It's not too late. Don't listen to that crowd. It's all right. She's just asleep. <laughs> what do you know? And Jesus, all the while, here's Jairus' daughter. Jairus is desperate. Ruler of the synagogue. Out of character. Man in position. Falls down in desperation for the Lord. Please, you got to help me. My daughter's dying. My daughter's dying. Jesus starts heading to his house. On the way, the crowd throngs him. And little lady, unnamed, comes. Shy, bashful, unknown, desperate, and hopeless. She pokes her hands through the crowd to get to Christ. And he heals her. Amen. The parade stops. He teaches some things. He comforts her. And then he goes on his way. You got to wonder if it's not sort of like uh, uh, it was with Mary and, the, and, and, uh, and Martha. Remember when their brother Lazarus died? They sent word to Jesus. And Jesus took off the other way. Didn't wait several days before he finally came. And he's coming now. Lazarus is dead. He's already been in the tomb now. Several days. His body's already decomposing. And, uh, and uh, the first of the sisters meets him and said, Lord, if you'd have been here, he, uh, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Our brother would not have died. And he goes a little further. The next one meets him and says, Lord, if, we'd, if you'd have been here, our brother would not have died. And Jesus waited. Why? Teach them some things they could not have earned otherwise. Can I tell you something, my dear friend? You may be unnamed. You may be unknown. You may be shy. You may be bashful. You may be a loner. You may be the one. I don't want to be in the limelight. But I'm telling you something. There's a God in heaven. He knows who you are. He knows what you're going through. And you say, well, he's busy. Yeah, he is busy. He's busy with a lot of people all at the same time. And he's big enough to handle that. Amen. And he can give you personal attention while he gives me personal attention. He's all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present. Amen. That means he's with you and he's with me all at the same time. Amen. What a Savior we have. You want Him? He'll touch you. Do you need Him? He'll touch you as well. What He's done for others, He'll do for you. Would you bow your heads, please?